and welcome to Turning Heads. As audiology students, we're very familiar with our role in performing hearing evaluations and fitting hearing aids. But how well do we know the other specialties in our field? It almost feels out of balance. Today, more than ever before, it's important to take full advantage of our entire scope of practice and professional utility. As clinicians who have shifted their focus towards balance and equilibrium, our goal is to provide resources to enhance your professional toolkit, and we want to invite you to discuss the possibilities of our future as audiologists. Welcome back, everybody, to episode three of the Turning Heads podcast. I'm joined here today by Courtney and Christina. Now, today, we're going to talk about the importance of interdisciplinarity. Now, if you've been a long-time listener to the show, you know that we've talked about utilizing your professional utility. In order to do that, you have to know what's in your inventory, but you also have to know what void you can fill within the grand scheme of health professions. Exactly, because if you think about it, vestibular diagnostics puts us in the position where we're highly interconnected with other specialty fields and primary care physicians. A lot of the time, we're the gatekeepers to getting dizzy patients where they need to be, and we're also the gatekeepers of getting information across effectively to other healthcare professionals because they might not be as familiar with the ear as we are. We've spent all four years of graduate school focusing on these teeny tiny organs and their overall role that they play in the grand scheme of health and wellness. I think that brings us to the point of why we are a valuable tool to our referring physicians and to our primary care physicians. Why do they keep referring to us? Well, they keep referring to us because we provide them a service. We provide them help in diagnosing these patients that have dizziness because most of our primary care and referring physicians have a lot more that they need to be experts on with the body. And dizziness is hard to decipher. That's extremely important. So as you're going through your testing protocol and you're able to relate those findings to the reported functional impairments, you can start to put the picture together with all these different puzzle pieces. But let's let's point something out here, all right? Your standard test battery is not the only thing in your toolkit. Other than our vestibular test battery, there are some screeners that you should be familiar with and, you know, may help support the recommendations with certain patients you're going to see in the clinic. So for instance, with cervical dizziness, you know, you may find cervical dizziness as you're doing positionals with head right versus body right. However, if you're suspicious of cervical dizziness, you can also do a cervical dizziness screener. There's also monofilament screening. If you have monofilament and a patient is reporting peripheral neuropathy, you also have somatosensory deficit on an SOT. You can use a monofilament screening to sort of back up your findings and corroborate your suggestion and your plan of care to your referring physician. Those are great points, Christina. And I think the biggest thing, you know, as students that we need to learn, especially going into practice, you know, a lot of you may not be in settings where you have all the diagnostic tests we have. So the other test that you could do is, you know, add a head shake when you're on the phone. So if you're doing the GANS SOP, and you have a patient standing on the phone with their eyes closed, and they're doing great, if you want to make it a little bit more difficult at another level, is have them shake their head with their eyes closed. If they're able to do that, you know that functionally their balance is good. 
day to day, they're at a very, very, very low fall risk. And all of these tests, and there's others that we're not naming, are great tools to have just to help build your case so that when you call these physicians and say, hey, you know, based on their case history and based on my test findings, I think this is what may be going on. What are your thoughts? And you never know. The patient may have shared something with you that they haven't shared with their referring or primary care physician. That could be the key that unlocks the entire case itself. And then you come to the counseling. So at the end of the appointment, what are you educating your patient on? How are they leaving? And how do you make them feel when they leave? And I think the biggest thing that we do here is we educate our patients on what we were looking at, what we are testing, and what our findings were. All right. Well, let's switch gears here now. Let's hone in on physical therapy for a little bit. If you've just identified a patient with some sort of vestibular deficit and you now are the referring provider, what are some things that you would include in your report and how would you communicate your findings to a physical therapist? Well, I'll start with the vestibular deficits. I think PTs, you know, there's a lot of information that we can give physical therapists in terms of a plan of care um, for these patients within therapy. So we know, at least in the United States, that the way our healthcare system is set up, that many patients only have a limited number of physical therapy visits that they're allotted for a year. So we need to make sure that we're giving our physical therapists all the information that we gathered so that they can make a tailored plan for each individual patient. And what I mean by that is, let's say you have an uncompensated unilateral vestibulopathy. We can use our entire test battery from calorics all the way up to video head impulse testing and computerized dynamic visual acuity testing to determine where is this dysfunction occurring? How much compensation has occurred? And where does therapy need to begin? Because if a patient is compensated up to one hertz head movements, then they don't need to start with very slow head movements in therapy. They can start with more advanced head movements. And this will help tailor therapy and get your patients feeling better faster. And so using our diagnostic tests, we can help physical therapists come up with a plan of care for their patients. Yeah, we'll know what kinds of therapy are a waste of time for them. And what's really important is that we, and we've talked about this in the past, that we look at the patient as a whole. Um, so if they have any orthopedic concerns, you want to include that in the report. Also, if they have something like BPPV, you want to clear that before sending them over to PT. So that is going to impede their ability to compensate or impede their ability to perform well within physical therapy because a lot of times all the work that you have worked up to can be reset by, say, a migraine or a BPPV being in the way. You want to take care of BPPV first. So get them in for treatments, do some repositioning maneuvers. And once they're all clear, referring them to physical therapy, they'll have a lot better prognosis than they did if they just went in with crystals loose, feeling imbalanced and having disequilibrium due to this mechanical issue of the crystals. All right, guys. I think that we made some really great points here today. So hopefully you've learned something from what we've shared from our own perspective as vestibular diagnosticians. But now that we're on this topic, let's hear straight from the source. 
On this episode of the podcast, we've got a special guest here today, Dr. Kim Rutherford, and she's going to tell us a little bit more about how we can better support our patients in transition to physical therapy. Dr. Rutherford joins us as the Vice President of Education and Professional Services at AIB. She is a physical therapist who has worked in a variety of clinical settings managing sports medicine, orthopedic, and neurological patients. Thank you for joining us. Um, The topic of interdisciplinarity is so important, not just for audiologists, but every person involved in the care of dizzy patients. Because it is such a specialized field, it takes a team to fully assess and manage the patient. And knowing your background, constantly collaborating with private, corporate, and academic organizations, we could not think of a more perfect guest. So we're really glad to have you today. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. So as we're planning this episode, we were really wanting to focus on how our listeners can adjust their clinical behaviors and frame their reports to be the most beneficial to other allied health professionals. Can you speak on how we can best facilitate a smooth transition from audiologist to physical therapist? Oh, absolutely. So I I think with anything, physical therapists are so used to receiving reports and physician orders. The more information you can give us, the better. Um, You know, we have a really extensive background in a lot of aspects of medicine. We're certainly not the physician, but a detailed report is always helpful. The more information, the better. So the more information you can give us in writing about the patient's actual functional impairments and the, the objectivity around it or some objective measures around it, that just helps streamline our approach a little bit. We're certainly going to still evaluate the patient and and get objective starting data for our own plan of care, but your reports are incredibly helpful when they outline the functional impairments and any of the supporting objective data that you have. That's really helpful and actually brings me to a good point. There's a wonderful article published by you and Dr. Gans in ENT and Audiology News. I believe it was published April of last year which, by the way, we'll be linking this in our social media posts because there's an extremely helpful table in there that perfectly summarizes the utility of each test. And I think it's a really good tool to reference when you're considering your role and your findings in the eyes of another provider. Um, So I wanted to know what the inspiration behind writing the article was. Were there specific things that you were seeing in the field? Were you hoping to bridge a a certain gap somewhere in healthcare with this publication? Um, Yeah, I think, again, connecting the providers together and kind of forming that synergistic relationship is important on all fronts. Uh, So many of the PTs and the OTs and the rehab professionals that come in and train with us are incredibly intimidated by the vestibular diagnostic component. There's, There's that unknown. So I think sometimes bridging that gap and showing that, yes, you have this sophisticated test battery that the audiologist or the ENT is doing, and it certainly is going to support what you do, but let's just translate it in more of a tangible fashion that you can read and ultimately develop a plan of care for your patients off of. So I think a lot of it was just to kind of take the um, scary factor, if you will, away that a lot of therapists have and you know, just around the misunderstanding or not very clear on how neurodiagnostic testing works. And then on the flip side of it, I think it's important for the diagnosticians to understand that your data and the objectivity of it is incredibly important. It's giving you objective measurements, but it also can give the physical therapist really clear indicators of where the functional impairments are so they can pick up their plan of care 
almost instantaneously and really make it very patient specific. Yeah, I, I really relate with that. Um, when I first came to AIB, I was reading the section on medical triage in that article. And that's kind of where everything just clicked to me as far as my understanding of the overall role in the grand scheme of things that we as vestibular diagnosticians play. Um, and, you know, each you have to look at each of the tests as a piece to the whole puzzle and ex- understanding exactly what piece that means to another provider is key in best serving the patients. Absolutely. And, and again, um, some of it may not necessarily trans- translate directly into the rehabilitation intervention, but I think from a, I guess, a rehabilitation provider's perspective, the more information I have, ultimately the better because we're going to design our protocols to be so patient-specific. And that's a lovely thing about your neurodiagnostic test battery. It's very patient-specific, too. So it really helps close that gap. And again, makes me more efficient. Uh, you know, as, as a PT, I'm limited by the number of visits sometimes I get with the patient. I'm limited by the, the amount of time I get with the patient. So for me to be able to really design a very patient-specific plan of care to either delegate to a physical therapy assistant or to, to do myself or or what have you is is just improves efficiency across the board, which is, you know, unfortunately, however you want to look at it, something we have to manage as rehab providers. But again, ultimately it really comes back to being the best I can be for that patient and giving them the best care that they can get mm-hmm. from start to end. Mm-hmm. Audiologists, we kind of we, we face the same difficulties. We don't have a lot of time to talk to the patients between the tests, and we still need to ensure that the patient leaves our appointment dedicated to the plan of care, dedicated to the recommended therapies. What are your recommendations to other audiologists regarding the best way to deepen the trust between the patient and provider? Great question, and I think that's a challenge that a lot of referral sources that are seeing the patient on the front end have. You're right, as Rehab providers, we have the advantage of seeing them sometimes two, three times a week over the course of a month, a month and a half, two months. So we naturally just on time alone are going to develop that rapport where you all have a much limited window. You have that first visit, you have that five to 10 minutes to counsel them, to tee them up that you're sending them to rehab, and then you know you have to move on. So I think first and foremost, obviously having that relationship with the patient from the diagnostic perspective is probably not as complicated as you might think. You know, patient's biggest fear, in my opinion, is the unknown. And when they come in and they get your care, you're giving such concise care and you're giving such a thorough evaluation. That alone, I think, has cracked the shell, if you will, for the relationship And the trust is developed quickly just from how thorough you are with your approach. So I think that alone works in your favor. From the patient or from the patient coaching perspective, five minutes of just a very thorough, this is what I think is going on, and then kind of teeing them up for the next stage and assuring them that you're going to follow them through from A to Z, not just, well, I've done my part. Good luck. See you later. Go to rehab kind of a thing. So I think a lot of it is just how you position the plan of care with the patient. And that can be done fairly succinctly, you know, five to 10 minutes, as long as you're kind of dotting all your I's and crossing all your T's. And again, I I make it sound so easy. I think it just comes with practice as well, as you know. But 
you know, just addressing what you've done for the patient, making sure that they understand each test and what that, what value it brings, which you're doing during the testing, and then really tying it all together and in, in, in really a unified approach at the end. And then teeing them up in a very positive manner of, hey, I've got a great rehabilitation specialist. We work closely with this individual at, you know, XYZ Rehab. I'm going to send you over. Paul is a great physical therapist. He's going to take good care of you. We talk to Paul. We communicate with Paul. So we have a really synergistic relationship there. So keep in mind, we're always going to keep an eye on you from afar, so to speak. I think patients just need to know that you care. And you're not just checking them off as, well, done, see you later type of a thing. So having a relationship with rehab providers in your area is really important because the patient will perceive that as it really is that synergistic partnership, if you will. And I think that alone will will help them. Again, that the unknown of what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What does this mean? And what's the next step? How am I going to get fixed? That's what patients want to know. Just they want information. So supplying that on the front end, you know, in a succinct manner, I should say, and then having the relationship with a few people in your area is, is solid gold, if you ask me. I think it truly is that simple. Reach out to rehab providers in your network. Reach out to certified vestibular specialists and just say, hey, I've got patients I need to send you and Let's develop, let's have a conversation. Let's develop a, let's develop a cross referral network and see what we can do to help manage these patients. And that alone kind of sort of takes care of itself to some degree. Mm -hmm. What do you wish audiologists or referring providers say to the dizzy patient prior to referring them to physical therapists, you know, considering how um, they need to be dedicated to the therapies and they really need to do their homework most of the time. Are there any things that you suggest that we address with them prior to seeing you? Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think this, this translates across a lot of mediums in healthcare, but it really boils down to expectations. And, you know, like many of us, that instant gratification, everybody's seeking it. And, you know, from a diagnostic perspective, really framing it as, look, this is something that's been going on for this long. This is very manageable. It's not a surgical condition. It's not a condition that, you know, involves pharmaceuticals. That's a good thing. This can be done through physical therapy, through movement, through a systematic progression of movement, and the rehab specialist will be able to do this, but this will not happen overnight. So rehab will be very, very, very structured to what you're having trouble with. So it will be challenging on the front end. But the good news is the more they challenge you, the quicker you recover. So really just framing the expectations around, you know, this won't happen overnight. This could take two, three, four weeks sometimes. This involves you doing things at home. This involves a therapist guiding you on what you need to do at home. So I really need you to be dedicated to your plan of care. And the more dedicated you are, the quicker you get better. So, you know, again, that's kind of oversimplifying it, but it boils down to, like I said, expectations. Uh, a lot of people think physical therapy is a one and done approach and it's not. It, it, it sometimes involves lifestyle modification and involves long-term maintenance care. So having that in mind and preloading the patient, if you will, that this is going to be a fantastic experience. It's going to be very patient specific. They're going to get better quickly. 
but they've got to be dedicated and patient. I think that alone helps bridge that gap that we ultimately will address ourselves, but it's helpful to hear that the diagnostician or the referral source is kind of setting us up, if you will, to succeed, particularly with those expectations from the patient. Yeah, I think exactly. Um, it's It definitely helps the patient as well as the provider. So just do, going a little bit, doing the extra um, little bit of work there can really, really benefit the entire situation. Well, I think that's a really great start. Um, you know, we could go on and on about this, but unfortunately we have a limited amount of time. But thank you again for coming well, in Thank today. you. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode where we talked a little bit more about developing that professional relationship with other healthcare providers. We hope that you learned something today that you can take away and begin to apply to your future clinical experiences. Don't forget to reach out to us on social media. You can reach us on Instagram at Turning Heads Podcast and on Facebook at the AIB Residence Corner. Thanks so much for tuning in. We hope to hear from you soon. everyone fact of the day did you know that john epley did not publish his paper on the popular epley maneuver until 1992 his technique is commonly used to treat patients with posterior canal bppv to this day hey if you're someone who's interested in learning more about the diagnostic and rehabilitative aspects of the vestibular and equilibrium sciences AIB is now offering a university program online for audiology students. Ask your program directors if your university will offer our course as part of the curriculum. And if not, reach out to us. We also offer the course on an individual basis for just the price of a textbook.